0: Major lessons from minor prophets as we continue with the series we started two weeks ago. Uh, Today, Micah. Micah. So see if you can find that in the Old Testament. Uh, Might have to go to the index to see what page it's on. But it's there. Just keep looking for it. Micah. You know, when I was in high school in the mid-70s, one of my favorite TV shows was Ellery Queen. Starring uh, G- J- uh, Jim Hutton. How, m- how many of y'all remember watching Ellery Queen? About 75, 76. It was, uh, Elizabeth, you remember watching that? No. <laughs> um, it only lasted about two seasons. But, I, you know, I really loved this show. Uh, it was a series that was set back in the 1940s. Ellery Queen is a famous character, anyway, in, in literature. Um, he was a mystery writer. And there's been several movies made about him, but uh, uh, he was a mystery writer who assisted his father, uh, Inspector Richard Queen, uh, who worked for the New York Police Department, he he assisted his father in solving real murders. Um, Ellery Queen's method of deduction was similar to what you might see in a Sherlock Holmes story. Um, As the story would unfold each week, uh, he would gather information here and there and He'd try to understand how it all fit together in uh, in the in the crime and the murder uh, and then at the end of the episode and this was unique to this particular TV show um, Ellery Queen uh, Jim Hutton would turn to the camera and talk to us as we watched it uh, and he would ask us hey he'd say I figured out who did it do you know who did it do you know who 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 uh, killed the person Um and as, as we watched, we would know all the evidence, all the evidence was there for us all to see. And all we had to do, like he, is put it together and we could figure out who done it, who done it. It was a, it was a fun TV show because it was kind of a challenge to see if you could figure it out each week. Uh, and then they'd go to commercial, of course. And then they would come back, and, um, and he would gather all the culprits together in the room, just like you, you, you see in a whodunit. And he'd walk the audience. First, he'd name the person. You did it. And then he'd walk the audience through all of the, the evidence and how he deduced who the killer was. And you're going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah I can see how that would work. Um, and I always loved the challenge each week to see if I could figure it out before he told everybody uh, who the killer was. I, I don't think I ever did. Uh, sometimes I would guess the right one, but, but I, I never caught those nuances of evidence that, that uh, seemed obvious when he would reveal it, but I, I often didn't catch it. And, and, of course, the reality of this show, as in all mysteries or whodunit fictional stories, um, is, is that there is always one person who knows from the beginning... Who done it? You know who that person is—the author, the author of the story—you uh, know—and the person that killed it, but uh, killed the person. But but that's a fictional thing. So so even, even in that, it was the author that knows from the beginning who done it. So each week with with Ellery Queen, the screenwriter or the author knew before he even started writing it down uh, uh, who the killer was. He knew all the clues, and he, and he knew how to put them all together because he came up with the clues, and he decided how it would all go together. Uh, he knew because he was the author. He was the creator of the story. For me, however, as, as one watching the episode each week, you know, I, couldn't, I couldn't know because I wasn't the author, and so I had to wait and experience the story as it unfolded, as everybody else did. I could speculate, I could maybe sometimes catch some of the clues uh, that would point me to the guilty person, uh, but, and maybe I might guess who the culprit was, but only one person, the author, knew exactly how the story would unfold. Okay, so w- what if we were to compare that to real life, to real life, um, as we, as we live today, we, we, we don't know what is going to happen tomorrow, do we? I certainly don't, and you don't either, in any real certainty. We can guess, we can get an idea, but we can't know with real certainty. Uh, and in the big picture, we, we, we don't know what will happen, say, for in the election coming up. You know, We can look at the polls, and maybe we can get an idea about, about how that's going to turn out but we can't know, can we, until it actually happens. We don't know what's going to happen in our world with Ukraine and Russia and all that mess that's going on in Eastern Europe. We, we can't know what's going to happen with our family, what's going to happen tomorrow um, uh, in our lives. We, we, we study history, but, but you know what? The people in history, they didn't know. We, we know what their future was because we're living in their future, but they didn't know what their future would be, did they? They, they could only guess and, and figure. Um, sometimes we look back at history and we can learn how to better face the future by learning from their mistakes, right? And so we don't repeat the mistakes of the past, but we can never know. And then again, in real life along the way, we, we sometimes run across people in history that seemed to be an exception to that rule of knowing the future. And we find those people in the Bible, and we call them prophets, prophets, people of God who seem to be in direct contact or have direct knowledge from the author, the author of the future. Uh, They bring prophecy as if the author or God uh, needs for you and I or people of of whatever time period it was to know a little bit. A little bit about what the author knows before it happens. And so, the author gives that message to a prophet so that he can tell us. Prophecy. You know, what do you think about when you hear that someone claims to be a prophet? Yes, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a prophet. I've, I've known people in modern churches today. Yes, I'm a prophet. I'm a prophet. I've often wondered... <laughs> Uh, you know how did you know you were a prophet? Um, maybe for you it was uh the uh, uh, you think of something supernatural, something magical when you think about a, a, a prophet. Um, we think about fictional stories today and fantasy stories today um, that 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 bring uh, uh, bring uh, uh, some prediction of the future how many How many fictional stories have we read where the chosen one, you know, he's the chosen one. Even even in Star Wars, the, with with um, Anakin Skywalker, you know, he, he was thought to be the chosen one, even though he turned out to be Darth Vader. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, you, you might know that th- there are real people today that that claim to be prophetic. Um, you know, how do they do it? They do it with tarot cards. They do it with um, with palm reading. They do it with uh, I, I don't know if she's still out there, but out on 301, near where, where 42 crosses 301, there was, for years, there was this sign, Madam So-and-so, I can't remember what her name was, huh? Yeah, okay, and and uh, I guess you could go in there and she could look at your palm and tell you what what your future would be, um, and uh, there's people that read the stars, or, you know, what's your horoscope, you know, what's your sign? Uh, And how many people, uh, you don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand, but uh, how many people would look at that and go, oh no, I can't go out today because my horoscope said I I shouldn't go out today. Uh, All kinds of methods that people delve into and claim to see into the future today. Uh, Maybe you've read about uh, someone called Nostradamus. How many of you have heard of him uh, from the, the 1500s? Um, uh, his claim to fame was that he, he, he was clairvoyant and he could see what the future was. And, and he made uh, predictions uh, about uh, things like the French Revolution, or supposedly, uh, even events in World War II. There's been documentaries made about Nostradamus and, uh, and comparing what he claimed and what has actually happened. Um, uh, that's what he's famous for. You know, some real people have claimed to be prophets, uh, but often, or, and, and you know, they often speak in vague terms like, I oh, don't, the farmer's almanac, you know, uh, that's like a prophecy, isn't it? Uh, this winter it'll be cold. <laughs> and later in the summer it's going to be hot. Uh, and some people look at that and, and some people plan their life by the farmer's almanac, uh, and others are going, oh, you know, that's not for real. Um, Others have prophesied uh, things, and they've just been plain wrong, and everybody knew they were wrong, like those who claim to know when God was going to return. You know, Jehovah's Witness were famous for that, and um, they, you know, they would would sell all their stuff, and they'd move to a mountaintop and wait for the Lord to come at that particular time, and then when he didn't, you know, everybody thought, ah, they're not prophets. They don't know what they're talking about, and they would think, oh, no, no, we just, we forgot to carry the one. Uh, uh, let's let's okay. I see what I did now. I see what I did. and so then they'd predict it again, and it still didn't happen because they weren't prophets. So what are we to expect when we learn something to be a prophecy that is real? You know, are there still prophets today? People claiming to be? Is there a difference between someone getting lucky on a prediction and actually seeing the future? Prophecy is not simply, uh, um, is, is not a simple subject to unpack and, uh, and, and we, we sometimes wonder about it and, and prophecy in the Bible is not real easy to figure out sometimes. You know, we Christians claim that, that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah and, and our faith is, a big part of our faith system is built on Prophecy. You know, one of our our proof texts or proofs that Jesus is the Son of God is, well, look, this man, look at all the prophecy that he fulfilled in the Old Testament. All the things that were spoken about uh, him and what would happen to him and who he was came true in the man Jesus, and that's a big, big part of our faith. Um, But today I want to talk about the fact that Prophecy might not be exactly what we think it is uh, or have in mind. In fact, in a real sense, we might need to unlearn <laughs> when it comes to prophecy some of our preconceived notions about prophecy uh, when we're trying to compare that to the prophecy in the Bible. Uh, obviously, the prophecy in the Bible is not magic, uh, the prophecy in the Bible is not just luck. Jesus didn't just Happen. It wasn't coincidence that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies that we read about. It's not a riddle that we have to solve. Um, uh, but prophecy is not always straightforward either. It's not straightforward. Um, today I want to try and to offer a helpful perspective on biblical prophecy. Not Madam, what's her name, prophecy, but biblical prophecy. Uh, we're studying major lessons from minor prophets... And I hope so far that we brought some new information about um, uh, these obscure books in the Bible that maybe we don't read read a whole lot or, or study a, a whole lot. Um, and today we want to we want to notice um, that that uh, what prophecy is, what prophecy is, and we, we might notice that in some of these books that we we look at it in the prophets. Um, there's not there's very rarely, if ever. Uh, a passage that says the Messiah will come or Jesus will come and, and save us. Um, what we'd love as we read the Old Testament prophets is if we could read something that's just straight out and, and we don't have to work guess, we don't have to try to figure out what it's talking about. It's so obvious. Like uh, in 500 years, God will send a man, his name is Jesus, He's, he'll be six foot two, uh, he'll have brown hair. He'll wear an 11 and a half size sandal. He'll be born in Bethlehem to a, a, a woman named Mary, and, and a, his dad will be Joseph. Um, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could read prophecy like that, that? Oh, there's no question about what that is. But often that's not the way biblical prophecy works. What we've seen are, are, are messages of in the prophets we've studied so far, and as we'll continue going along, what we see in these prophecies is mostly messages of repentance and of judgment for Israel or for Judah. Remember, uh, uh, during that time, the, the nation of uh, the, the God's people were divided into two nations during the time that this was written uh, in Micah. Uh, there was the northern nation of Israel, the southern nation of, of Judah. Um, And and most of these prophecies uh, talk about their repentance, their judgment. Plus, a sprinkling of hope is always included for the faithful, for those who are listening and following God. There's always a little bit of that. Um, The prophets uh, function more as preachers rather than fortune tellers. Usually when we think of prophets, we think, ah, those are the people that that tell about what's going to happen. And they do tell, but they mostly just preach. <laughs> they mostly just tell a truth from the author uh, uh, about what's to happen and what's going to happen immediately with the people that they're writing to. And today, our prophet is Micah. Micah. Um, maybe it would be more stat- satisfying to you if the prophets were more specific with dates and times and future events. Um, Perhaps what you'd expect from, from the prophets is something more like a psychic. You know, I see, I see in your future, uh, you know, uh, that you're going to make a lot of money, or, or you don't need to go on that trip that you're thinking about going on today. It would be great, you know, if we could get those kind of messages. Uh, but maybe that's because when we think that, it's some stuff we've got to unlearn about what a prophet is. My suggestion is that the prophets we read in the Old Testament are better, really, than some preconceived oracle that we might expect to come from them. They they, they aren't attempting to gain notoriety. They aren't attempting to to gain credit for their words. You know, the prophets, Micah's not saying, I'm going to be famous because I told the future, and and everybody's going to see that I I had the words of what was going to happen. That's not what their purpose is. Tell us the future and then have a name for it. Uh, They're simply showing us the world... Uh, that there is one author of all things. Uh, one author with a consistent plan, a consistent message from the very beginning to the end. That's what these prophets really are portraying. One author, consistent message, consistent plan um, from the beginning to the end. You know, God is the author of all things. And he already knows the story from the beginning to the end, just like the author of Ellery Queen. He already knows what's, how it starts. He already knows how it's going to end. Uh, and I don't think he designs his message for, for each prophet to, to astound us with details and specific clarity of, of what's going to happen. I think what we find is something greater than that, something greater than just some prediction of the future. When Jesus comes and and we look back through his history, you know, all all the way to creation, we we see where Jesus is and we look back to creation. We find, you know what, look at that. There's one God. There's one God. And he's been writing this same story the whole time from Genesis to Revelation. Um, uh, He's left breadcrumbs scattered throughout this history. uh, And we can call those breadcrumbs prophecy. Prophecy. Because uh, in Jesus, we look back with Jesus and all of the breadcrumbs make sense. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, I, I see what Isaiah was talking about. I see what Micah was talking about. I see what, what Joel was talking about. Uh, because all of it from beginning to end was leading to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. God has always been leading us to this point. Uh, And and that's why prophecy gives us confidence. Wow, I can look back and I can think, oh, Jesus is real because, look, those prophets hundreds of years before him talked about him. Now it makes sense. Now it it makes sense. It confirms for us that there's, there's always been one author, one author, one consistent message, one plan of redemption, one path to hope. Every chapter of humanity is is laced with prophecy keeping the hope of restoration on its course. And the arrival of Jesus, his life and his death, his resurrection, it confirms that he, Jesus, is the fulfillment of all of it. Of all of it. Now Micah, who is a pre-Assyrian prophet, again, i As I spoke, as I said earlier, the the nation at this time was divided into the northern nation of Israel, the southern nation of Judah. Uh, Eventually, soon after this actually, after Micah, the Assyrians will come and conquer and destroy the northern nation of Israel. Um, But this is just before that. So the the two nations are still existing, Israel and Judah. Um, Micah is told by God some 700 years before Jesus comes, uh, to preach to Israel and to preach to Judah. Uh, and with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at, at some of his words. Micah starts his book similar to some of the other prophets, um, as, as uh, Joe was talking about this morning uh, with the judges, with with Gideon, uh, Israel, once again, is on that roller coaster that they're always on. They're faithful, they're not faithful. They're faithful, they're not faithful. At this time, they're not faithful. They've gone off course again. They've turned away from God. It happens over and over and over again. So Micah 1, chapter 3, through the first part of verse 5. Micah writes, Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and he treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. Throughout the the book of Micah, you'll see uh, Micah talking about Jacob. You'll you'll hear him talk about um, uh, Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria was the capital of Israel. Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. So whenever he talks about Samaria, he's talking about Israel. Judah, he's talking about, uh, uh, or Jerusalem, he's talking about Judah. So here he's, he's saying because of uh, uh, the transgressions of God's people, um, the sins of the people of Israel. Now this is an awkward place for Micah to, to be because uh, he's having to give this message of destruction that's coming to Israel, but he's also a Jew himself. You know, he, so, the, so this is a, a message of destruction that includes him. It includes him because he's a part of these people that he loves in his own nation. Um, so he, he's, he talks about the mourning that he's experienced. Verse 8, because of this I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. Uh, so Micah's upset that he has to give this message, but he has to do it anyway. And why, did, why does he have to give this message? Uh, what's the problem? Uh, it's Israel's sin. It's, it's Judah's sin. Uh, for example, in chapter one, he says that you've been worshiping idols, just like uh, with Gideon and, and the Israelites at that time, in the, ju- the time of the judges, worshiping foreign gods. They were involved in prostitution. Uh, in chapters two and three, there was injustice, they weren't treating people justly, schemes to take advantage of poor people. Um, the leaders set in the example were, were oppressing, their policies were oppressing people. There were false prophets trying to counter uh, Micah's message and, and, uh, and point towards a false message. Um, getting, they were getting paid to share a false message to God, the false prophets were, um, Anybody would do anything for a bribe. There was corruption among the people. It ran wild. And ultimately, Israel uh, was, had just given up on their commitment to God as they had done so many times. Um, and, and they were giving up on his ways. And, and similar to other prophets, there's a strong message from God here of destruction. Of destruction. <laughs> But, but this is not just a message of destructive judgment. Sometimes when we look at these prophets, we think, oh man, it's just, you know, it's just uh, destruction, uh, you know, being captured, it's, it's just being destroyed, it's all about punishment, punishment, punishment. And yes, the prophets do talk about uh, destructive judgment, but judgment is not always just God's wrath. We need to keep that in mind. There's a much bigger concept of, of God's judgment. God's judgment um, is often called misphat, M-I-S-P-H-A-T, Misfit. And misfit has the, the, the conception of, of a judgment that also includes restoration, judgment that includes restoration. God, whenever he judges his people, whether it's you and I or or uh, the people of Israel, God wants to make things right with his people. Because God is just, and just, justice includes uh, making things right or restoring things. God, God is a good judge. You know, he's not just some evil judge that, that, that has vengeance on people, um, he, he wants things to be made right punishment is necessary right when people make mistakes when israel was was doing what they were doing when they were worshiping false gods you know punishment was necessary but punishment wasn't the goal of god the goal was to make things right with the people and and he is the only one that can judge in such a way because he's a perfect judge where that can actually happen where the proper punishment could be given, but then restoration could take place. So yes, punishment is coming, uh, and, and for a lot of the prophecies that we read, uh, most of it is about destruction. Most of it is about destruction. Um, but, but Micah also shares the misfit. The misfit. Listen to, listen to the fact that God must punish but there's other, there, there's, there's a, an attempt to make things right coming as well. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. In that day, declares the Lord, this is chapter 4, 6 and 7. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away, a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them on Mount Zion from that day and forever. There's a sign of hope, there's a sign of hope. Um, after the judgment, after the punishment, this is a sign of hope. Micah is prophesying that this judgment is going to hurt, it's going to hurt, nobody's <laughs> going to like it. Uh, and the punishment will fit the crime for what they've done. Um, it, but in a sense, it'll purge the evil. you know the things can't be made right until the evil is removed. you can't you can't restore things to God when there's still evil there. You got to get rid of it. And so that's the purpose of the judgment. Um, But there's a remnant. In other words, those who aren't evil or who have come back to God, the survivors, the remnant will emerge and they'll carry on the hope that God is sending. Get rid of, purge the evil. The remnant will carry on the hope. And then we get to chapter 5. Uh, about the remnant. He gives more specific prophecy. Uh, And this is going to perk our ears because, you know, we might not know a whole lot about Micah, but I bet we know about this verse. Chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That sound familiar? Uh, finally, <laughs> Micah, as we're reading through, oh, it's terrible, this is all this destruction. Uh, I don't even understand where these places are and who these people are. But finally, Micah gives you and me as Christians a prophecy that we can sink our teeth into. Oh, I know that one. Uh, the hope, the distant hope on the other side of punishment something that that none of his audience at that time would ever see, would ever even know about before their death, Um, that's going to come. And where is this hope going to come from? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Out of you, Bethlehem, will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel. Now, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, remember that, again, the audience that he's speaking to at this time, the people of Judah and Israel um, uh, of that period, they don't know anything about what's coming, uh, anything about the future. Uh, they, they don't know about Jesus. Uh, they, don't, they, they hear this thing about, hey, there's somebody coming at some point in time, but they don't know it's Jesus. They don't know the story of Christmas. They don't know about the shepherds and the wise men and, and Bethlehem. Um, uh, they don't know uh, 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 anything about this story, but they do know someone who did come from Israel uh, that kind of helps them understand the importance of, a, of, a, of someone that's going to come to rescue them. Who was the person that came from Bethlehem that they would know about? It was David, wasn't it? David. David was their favorite king. David was the king who put Israel on the map. David was the king who made them a great nation back in the day before they became what they were now. Uh, David was the image of hope for Israel. And their message of hope is that one day there'll be a new David, a new David who will come from the same place that the old David come from, who's going to lead them back to glory as a nation. But it's deeper and it's better than they could possibly have imagined because they're thinking, oh, another warrior, another king that's going to come in and defeat the, the uh, Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Romans. But it's going to be even better than that. Fast forward 700 years from this point to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, there are three wise men that come from the east. We're going to have three wise men in our play, uh, Daryl, Joe, and Ken. <laughs> got to come out and see them. Uh, and they're following a star from the east. Uh, they're looking for the king of the Jews. Uh, a weird scene takes place, you know, it, as, as we jump forward into the, the, to so many years ahead of time. They come to the authority of the land of that day. And who was that authority? King Herod. You know, he's the king. He should know. We're looking for the king of the Jews. Surely he would know where we can find this king uh, because he knows everything. He's the king, right? But Herod didn't know, if you remember the story. Uh, In fact, uh, he probably doesn't know a whole lot about any Jewish history because he wasn't a very faithful Jew. So he calls together his chief uh, Jewish scholars and he asks them Hey, Where is this Messiah going to be found that these guys are looking for? And where do they look? Where do they look for it? Where do they find it? Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Looks like somebody was paying attention in Jewish school back in those days. The Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And so that's where the wise men went. And they found this Messiah, this one, that 700 years earlier... Micah had predicted. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, this is one of those moments separated by hundreds of years that we see proof that there is one author. One author of the story. In the midst of a very real judgment against the evils of Israel, God left for us evidence that he will bring restoration. Restoration. That's the word. If You've been wondering, what's the word for Micah? That's the word. Restoration. Restoration. God will restore all things. And when you think of God's judgment, I know that God will restore all things. It's not just destruction. It's also restoration. Uh, I, w- I want you to try to stop thinking about a judgment as just punishment, but it's, it's God making things right, making things right. Hell and punishment, those are real things, and, and, and those are things that we need to fear. But the cool thing is, once we know Jesus as our Savior, we don't even have to think about punishment and hell anymore because that's not even going to be an issue for those who know Jesus um, God's judgment is good God's judgment is good for those who are faithful with him the author of all things uh, uh, made a plan to rid the world of evil for the purpose of restoration restoration God the perfect judge he's good he's always good as Steve says but where does that leave us today you know, what, what, so what? What a great story. It's, it's, it's good to understand Micah maybe a little bit better. What can you and I take home from Micah, the whole prophecy of Micah? Well, I, well, I want to go back uh, to Micah because a cool, a cool, uh, as cool as it might seem, oh, this is a prophecy about Jesus, guess what? This was a message to those people that day, of that day. Um, the people that were listening to Micah weren't really thinking about Jesus. They were thinking about what Micah was saying to them then. You have to imagine yourself as we, as we try to put ourselves in the place of the audience that Micah is writing to, the people that lived back then. Micah just prophesied about the destruction of their home, of their nation, of their families. Um, and, and let's just say we believe him. All right, Micah, we believe this is going to happen. In uh, the pit of your stomach, you believe him, and, 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 and you think, wow, I'm sorry. You're right, God, as, as Gideon hopefully figured out when, when we talked about it in Sunday school. Hopefully, some of these people figured out, oh, you're right, God, I, I have been evil. I've worshiped idols, and I've treated people badly. Um, and we want to respond to God. What, what do I need to do, God, with this message that you're giving me about our destruction. And so Micah tells them, Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? All right, Micah is asking, what do we need to do with this message you're giving us? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, with the, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my first, firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. With your God, you know we can sit here. We can we can celebrate and we can study the prophets who, uh, we, we can that we see in Micah that Jesus is the hope. Wow, he he came and he he came to save all mankind uh, and give the world hope. But there's a real problem um, if we don't listen to this warning to Israel, 700 years before Jesus, for them and for us. Jesus is the only hope. Yes, he is the only hope, the only way our sin can be forgiven, uh, but only if we're willing to repent, to rend our hearts, not our garments, as we talked about with Joel, only if we're willing to repent. When we read uh, the, the first gospel message that we talked about back in Acts chapter 2, uh, and the people said, all right, we hear your message about Jesus. He's our Savior. He's the Messiah. What do we need to do, Peter? And Peter said, the first thing, repent. You've got to, to decide to turn your life around. You know, uh, only the, the one author of the story of humanity, uh, you know, can forgive our sins. But if, if, if we're going to have our sins forgiven, then we've got to be willing to change to turn. The author, God Almighty, uh, has been consistent in his message throughout history. To come back to me, you must decide to change, to change your life. Um, And changing your life is not just going through the motions. It's not offering sacrifices. It's not coming to church consistently. It's not putting money in the offering plate. It's not uh, handing out bulletins or or whatever your ministry is. All those things are important. All those things are important, but they're all useless, as we've said so far in this series, if we don't decide to change, to change, and become faithful to him. God wanted the the people of Israel to stop worshiping gods, false gods, stop treating people wrongly, and start being faithful to him and him alone. It means nothing if we don't repent and start following him. The summary of Micah, I, I just love so much. Um, what does God require? What does God require? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That's what he requires. That's so similar to what Jesus said, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, all that's found right in that, that conclusion of Micah as well. Um, uh, so so Micah six verse eight, if you really want to participate in the hope of Jesus, that is for all mankind that, that Micah prophesied, um, you know what does that mean? It means we must act justly, we must treat people right, we must not be selfish and just hoard everything for ourselves, but but put others before ourselves uh, what a just person would do we, what, what does that mean for you? What does that mean? For you to act justly towards people in your life. Uh, We are to love mercy. Love, love. (laughs) Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and body. Love your neighbor as yourself. We must love, love. Uh, They'll know we're Christians by our love. Not how often we attend church or how much of the Bible we have memorized. But how much do we love each other? So who do, who do you need to love that you're not loving right now? And we must walk humbly with God. Gideon uh, was humble. I, who, am I? who am I, God, that I should be your warrior? Who am I uh, to, to go and save Israel? I, I am nobody. I'm nobody. And God took the humble Gideon and used him to conquer the Midianites you're at Sunday school, you'd know about that because you'd been here and learned that lesson. Uh, so, I encourage you to come to Sunday school. There's more lessons like that. Uh, but walking humbly before God, putting Him above all other things, especially above ourselves, especially above ourselves. You see, when we read about Israel and their evil ways, we might need to compare their lives to our own lives. We like to look at Israel and go, Oh boy, those, those people were terrible. They should have been better than that. They should have known better. But rather than saying that, let's say, "Ooh, how do I compare to the Israelites in the way I live my life, uh, the way I treat others, my love, my humility? How do I compare to them? We might find that we're in the exact same position that they are. And the question will be, are we going to stay there stubbornly, like the Israelites did so often, or are we going to change? Are we going to change that 's what God requires let's pray, Father, thank you so much for the message of Micah. Um, it can be confusing when we don 't know the background and we don't uh, we, we, do, we 're just trying to read the, the complicated words that he and other prophets write um, but but when we know a little bit about the history uh, and when we think about it uh, in, in from your Perspective, you're the author's perspective. We can see this is not just about a people that lived uh, thousands of years ago, but it's people are people, whether it was back then or today. We're all selfish. We all like to do our own thing. We all tend to want to wander away from you. Um, but we all like salvation and we all like to be restored. Um, help us to see if we want salvation, if we want restoration. Uh, that has to come first when we decide to change. Not to be perfect, because we'll never be perfect, but we've got to decide, I'm going to change and be what God wants me to be. I'm going to be just, I'm going to love, I'm going to be humble. Thank you, Father, for this great message. May we learn from it and take it home. In Christ's name, amen.